Welcome to You Still, a podcast hosted by me, Ella Delancey-Jones. We talk about motherhood, the absolute elation and the surprises, as well as attempting to bridge the gap between who we were before we had our children and who we are now. Don't forget to follow at You Still Podcast on Instagram and Twitter so you don't miss a thing. It's lovely to have you here. One of the very first things that you will hear from other people when you get pregnant is something along the lines of, oh, well, you'll never get a full night's sleep again. That might be true, that might not be true, but it is true that sleep is the one topic of conversation that pervades nearly every conversation with other parents, people who aren't parents. It's certainly something that's been the forefront of my mind for the last eight months. I really wanted to have a conversation with someone who gets sleep, who gets baby sleep specifically, and who knows what they're talking about. I really struggled with sleep deprivation in the beginning. I'm breastfeeding, which meant that it was all pretty much on me, all the feeding, all the night shifts. We, there, were, there were little ways and hacks that we managed to make sure that I had a little bit of sleep, which we'll talk about later in the episode. And sleep for us has just been an ever-changing beast. When we brought Polly home from the hospital, she was up maybe every 45 minutes to every hour and a half. I didn't sleep for like six to eight weeks, pretty much. And it's crazy I always found it so mad to like go from having full eight hours a night to all of a sudden you are not sleeping it goes on for months and you don't sleep for like more than two or three hours in a row and I still find that mad now and then over a bit of time around Christmas time lovely Christmas present she started sleeping in longer stretches and it was like the best thing that's ever happened so she was doing longer stretches I was feeding her to sleep or Will would rock her to sleep we're able to start putting her down we had it licked mate it was brilliant and then all of a sudden she turned around six and a half months old and everything just completely changed and it's actually depending on when this goes out to be honest we're only just really coming out of the end of what I don't know what it was development probably but it was like having a newborn again and the thing that I found much harder this time round with the waking was that I wasn't giving myself the same grace that I was giving myself when I had a newborn when she was a newborn I'd be sitting on the sofa watching one born every minute I know call me a masochist but I wouldn't get up all day and I'd just sit and I would literally be a potato I'd eat a big bar of chocolate and I I gave myself grace whereas now when Polly's nearly eight months old I'm working again I getting up and doing my makeup every morning I'm going out with friends I'm trying to reconcile myself as a mother with who I used to be and then all of a sudden the spanner in the works is that I'm not sleeping again so and what comes with that is especially for my personality anyway is a lot of research into why this might be happening and it's so easy especially in the age of social media to be so overcome with information information, conflicting information, people that make you think you're doing something wrong, especially with all the buzzwords like self-settling and awake but drowsy and don't feed to sleep and rod for your own back and all this kind of stuff I really wanted to cover with someone who has been through this kind of thing before with their own children and who now is on a mission to help other people, other parents who might be struggling with not just sleep deprivation but just understanding how their children's sleep works and how they can improve it and what is normal. Sometimes I think we do lose sight of the fact that sometimes things that we 
think aren't normal are really very, very normal for very young babies. So her name is Emily. She is the founder of Fox and the Moon Sleep and she has been through it before. She's on a mission to help and educate other parents on their child's sleep, improve it if that's what they want to do and also just let people know that we're in the same boat. When I first announced that I was going to be putting this podcast out, she commented and I was like, oh, god okay I have been following you for a long time so I'm gonna shoot my shot and ask you on the podcast and she said yes and I did a fist pump I was so excited so I am so excited to introduce you hi Emily thank you so much for coming on to you still problem nice to be here I am so happy to have you on here because I remember when Polly was first born and you were one of the first accounts sleep accounts that I followed you were approaching sleep was just something that was really resonating with me I think it's just amazing what you're doing like the Instagram side of things you're so funny as well like yeah (laughs) everything's really relatable and I really appreciate that do you know I actually have to tell you that we've been really struggling with false starts for a really long time and I saw your false start post I think it was recent and I think it said to just bring bedtime forward slightly and we did and she's not false starting anymore so thank you for that for something no Can you give me and everyone out there a bit of an overview of you, about Fox and the Moon, why you're doing what you're doing? Yeah, so I became a parent for the first time seven years ago, and I am the type of person that gets obsessed with knowing things. So if I'm going to do something, I will have to know everything there is to know about it and I had horrendous mental health after having my first child I was I was diagnosed with postnatal psychosis I had postnatal anxiety and depression and a lot of that was triggered by sleep deprivation and I was very much the impression just from being in society in general and being a new mum that sleep training was a rite of passage and that was something that you had to do to improve sleep and I did it when he was about eight months old we lasted maybe two nights it was awful it didn't improve sleep and eventually it did it's all a bit of a blur as it always is when you look back even when you've got like a two-week-old you can't remember what happened the week before can you and my mental health was so bad with Arthur that we actually didn't want to have another second another child and I ended up getting a lot of help for my mental health and that was when we decided we would try and very luckily um, and I know how lucky I am fell pregnant very quickly with Henry and yeah he came very early he was very poorly tongue-tied very difficult feeding journey there's a lot that, that happened with that. And I kind of thought, well, I can't sleep train this child. Like that's not happening. Mm-hmm. So it made me think about, you know, there's got to be other ways to do this. There's got to be other ways to improve sleep. And when lockdown hit, I decided I would completely retrain. And I did Lindsay Hookway's holistic sleep coaching program. And it kind of just, the more science and evidence I learned about children's sleep and my eyes were opened and I just thought, this has to be mainstream. It's never, and, and that's very much still the goal. And that's how kind of Fox and the Moon was born. I did sleep packages for, for people for like 20 quid, like just built up my experience, like really was in a position, luckily, to spend a lot of time with people in my community virtually uh, and really helping them and it was just it was my therapy like everything we'd been through with with Henry it felt like I was doing something really good because of what I'd been through and what I'd learned so that's that's how Fox and Moon came about and it kind of has just exploded I've always been that friend that people come to for advice about sleep I think because I knew a lot like I would but it got to the point where I was like this is something I'm really interested in so I decided to kind of make it official and not go back to my job and yeah only since lockdown to like two and a half years yeah. yeah, that's amazing. And something you just said that stuck out to me, what you said about training as a rite of passage. Sleep training. Sleep yeah. training. I find that really interesting because... Mm-hmm. 
I think you're right. I think maybe there's for a lot of people, it gets to a certain point or, or they are told by especially older generations that that's kind of what you have to do. I know a few relatives of ours have said that that's what they did with us. I know my mum did it with me. But when Polly was born, like I'm breastfeeding, I'm feeding her on demand, I'm meeting her every need in the daytime. And I know there's a lot of, um, do I want to say, bit controversial like actual sleep training yeah Yeah. Mm. that that was my so I think it really depends on your circle your village of people around you that kind of help influence your decisions as parenting and especially in the last couple of years there's been a lot more noise about holistically sleep coaching and that's something that I think we really need to address I was reading something today that actually said sleep training is not just leaving your child to cry you can do it gently that's not what sleep training is. People think that that's what, you know, sleep training is just this notion of improving your child's sleep in any which way. But traditionally, sleep training means all of these methods. That is what sleep training is. And I think that the more people understand that, it kind of opens up new doors into alternatives. And it's interesting that you said that wasn't something you were comfortable with. It was never something that I I thought that every parent did that and they had to do it. And it was awful, but that's the way they they help. I thought I was doing my child a disservice by not doing that. And I I wonder whether, A, that was because it was seven years ago, although that's not a very long period of time. I think there has, especially with the growth of Instagram, that being a platform, there has been other talk of, you know, there's another narrative here of how we can help our child sleep. I didn't feel that back then. There was forums like Mumsnet and books you could read and there didn't seem to be anybody that was like advocating for a certain way that like I aligned with or that I kind of and I would never have imagined of working with a sleep consultant either that wouldn't have been even on my radar so I still think there's a lot of work to be done in terms of people's perceptions and it's so ingrained within our healthcare system that sleep training is what you need to be doing and when I say sleep training I do mean teaching a baby to self-settle which I believe isn't possible to do and yeah that's that's and, and the whole conversation mm. I suppose but it's it's yeah I think it depends on on and I kind of what stage of life you're at like you can feel very vulnerable as a new mom and I think you can absorb a lot of people's opinions and take that to heart and kind of be full of self-doubt about whether you're doing a right a good job and I, I think if you're the type of person that is very very strong in their kind of emotions and knows who you are I think that was the difference when I was 25 and had Arthur I did not know who I was as a woman I didn't know what made me tick I didn't know what made me happy I think I was quite late to mm-hmm. that game but I think that's the difference is kind of your vulnerability and mental health that the time you become a parent as well yeah it's only probably since I've really had Polly that I've really come into my own as a as a woman and 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 it's not it's because I've got more than just myself to advocate for now what I was going to say about the vulnerability as well is that I remember isn't it correct me if I'm wrong but isn't the sort of definition of a child or baby sleeping through the night is like a five-hour stretch or something it's not doing like seven till seven no but this is the thing isn't it is that the sleep training the sleep industry in general is not regulated which is far from ideal and it needs to change whether it will or not Mm. I'm not sure but that's that's the thing is that it sleeping through the night is defined differently for everybody and you know each sleep coach you would speak to or consultant you'd speak to would have a different definition of that and the people still pushing this seven seven twelve hours overnight kind of narrative of baby sleep yes some children will fit quite nicely into that but most won't that's the thing about you know it is relative because to me obviously as I'm breastfeeding if Polly wakes up twice a night I I am thrilled I'm Mm. I'm overwhelmed I'm like yes what a great night we've had yeah 
But that to me, that's amazing. But I know for some people that would be really annoying to them and they would be looking, seeking that extra, extra sleep. Yeah. And that's a really important point. I read a review from somebody on an ad for a sleep consultant on my Instagram feed before that said, before working with such and such a person, my eight month old was waking two to three times a night, at least two to three times a night. And I was like, and? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, like, <laughs> so that's the flip side of it is, are we are we reaching out and spending money with people to try and fix something that's very normal and you can't fix normal you can't fix it and when when a when a family is really struggling with sleep it's either because and this might be controversial to say and people might not agree with me but I think that if a family are in the depth of despair with their child's sleep I think are their expectations too high of that child through no fault of their own? Or is there something going on with this child that needs addressing? And that's kind of where a holistic approach to sleep, I think, is, is needed. It should always be needed. Mm. You know, when you take your child to the GP, you, you expect a holistic approach. That doesn't mean airy-fairy, get some gemstones out and check the baby's energy. It's nothing to do with that. <laughs> It's it's looking at the baby as a whole, as a human being. Like how are they? How did they come into this world? What have they been through? What what are they experiencing? Mm-hmm. How are they feeding? That's holistic. And there's a fine line between kind of are you? There's a lot of you have to stay in your lane as a sleep consultant. There are things you do need to refer on to specialists. But as a truly holistic coach, you need to be knowing what to look out for. I found that word you used earlier really interesting as well. Is is normal? I think sometimes things can be quite prescriptive not just on social media but there's a lack of education around what is normal so the only reason I know this isn't sleep but the only reason that I am on still on our breastfeeding journey is because I did so much research and so much in depth like going into forums talking to people to figure out what was normal because when she was six weeks old and she was cluster feeding I thought that she wasn't getting enough milk and I know a lot of people stop their journeys then and give them give the baby formula for example because they they think the baby's not getting enough so it it was obviously educating myself over what was normal and I think the same can be can be said for sleep so for example I'd never heard of low sleep needs or high sleep needs yeah and I think you're right is that we're not we're not prepared as parents for what to expect post coming home from hospital no. like it's we're not prepared for any of it and um, you can do as much reading you can speak to as many people when you're in the thick of it it it's very very hard to navigate and when you're sleep deprived and you're anxious it's hard to to know that you're doing the right thing and and this is a very bold statement to make and I'm going to feel this way because it's my life and it's what I I love and I'm very passionate about it but mm. I think that postnatal care and baby baby's health is is a systematic global health issue I do not think we're taking these things seriously enough and we need to be because this is is setting up our children to not be healthy adults not in terms of sleep we worry so much that fragmented sleep is going to harm our baby's development and we're told that that's like a plug people use to to get you to buy something Mm. or you'll read a book that says you know children need restorative sleep to to function cognitively and the, the narrative about how a nap under an hour isn't restorative and it panics parents and this all of these contributing factors birth trauma 
no feeding support, no oral function knowledge, no weaning support, no gut sensitivity support. None of this knowledge is, is intertwined within our NHS and it's causing massive issues, not only in maternal mental health, but paternal mental health, in babies' mental health. And there is, I, I feel like there's two groups of people, one that have these babies and go with the flow and don't listen and can block out noise and get on with it and trust their gut instinct. And the parents who bring that baby home and think, what on earth have I done? Yeah like that what have we done because I do not know how to navigate this situation and that's where those people seek help and they'll they'll research and they'll look and that's a brilliant thing but we need to make sure that the information they're reading and the information they're getting from health professionals is correct and it's not and that's a huge huge problem. I'm so glad you said that this is a really big reason for me to actually have set up this podcast it's something that I feel like I'm becoming a big advocate for is the education because you're right when I was pregnant and for a lot of people when you're pregnant you you go to antenatal classes like everyone does after that and even during because it's noise you know it's very much like okay when the baby gets home and then you're gonna this is how you change a nappy but like the nuance and the emotional side and the enduring kind of emotional impact is not ever really explored or mentioned I remember feeling like not normal because I wasn't Mm. diagnosed with um, PDD but my baby blues as they call it inverted commas lasted probably about six weeks and everywhere if you read Mm -hmm. on on NHS it's like oh if this goes on any longer than like two weeks then you contact your GP and I thought you know what Two weeks is such a short amount of time to get over something that's the probably the biggest thing that you're ever going to do in your life. And mm-hmm. even then, you know, some of the research that I was doing was it was quite hard to find. And then you're right in, as well in, when you say that the information you want it to be correct because there's so much contradiction. There's so much, especially with sleep. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And I think it's not going to it's not going to change until a cycle is broken and somebody just kind of takes a minute to kind of reevaluate what what is happening somebody told me the other day only two percent of all of medical literature and, and research is is around pediatrics now that's obviously because of ethics and you know you can't trial drugs on on infants but sleep study of sleep and brain development that can be done and something very simple that i think could quite easily be put into the community is more infant feeding clinic because if a baby goes to a GP and they're vomiting and they're losing weight perhaps or they are very unsettled and screaming all of the time that is I don't want to say always but that's very very it's very very common for that to be related to how that child's feeding and if there's a clinic set up with people who are experienced and, and are qualified in checking for a tongue tie not just a tongue tie but tension in that baby's body and face and oral function they we could we could completely I think decrease the prescription rates of Gaviscon and Omeprazole. Omeprazole isn't even a licensed drug in under 12 month old babies yet it is being handed out like smarties because and I'm not blaming the GPs that are doing this it's it's ingrained in our healthcare like there's not enough mm. knowledge on what it's purple crying it's colic it's the witching hour it's this no it shouldn't be happening. It's not, it's not normal. It's common, but it's not normal at all. And just having a place where people can go and be like, can you just reassure me on this? Can you check the latch? Can you recommend a bottle that would suit my baby? And, you know, babies that are in pain like that, 
all the time are telling us something and we need we owe it to them to find out what that is and have and instead of just being like oh it's fine just put some gaviscon in their bottle or oh it's just it's just per- like what even is purple crying so many of my clients have said oh we went to the doctor they had purple crying i'm like what on earth is that where they turn purple because they're crying so much and that's okay is it are we just expected? Yeah. And the damage that does psychologically to the parents. I was speaking to a family today who said, we are so scared of her crying now that we are very cautious about how long she's awake. We're almost obsessed with how long she's awake for because we cannot deal with, we're so scared of her starting to cry and not stopping again. And and the trauma that the majority of us carry from those first couple of weeks is not okay. There is, there's a hundred percent always a cause for reflux always. And yeah, that's part of kind of my interest now in sleep is kind of working out what, how that baby was as a a newborn. Like how did they present? Were they settled? Were they not? Because more than likely what was causing them to be unsettled now is now presenting itself in poor sleep. Uh, Sorry, then is now presenting itself in poor sleep. So once we still work that out, we can then help that baby sleep a lot more comfortably with the help of a dietitian or with the help of a tongue tie specialist or whatever it may be I mean there might probably a lot but what do you think the biggest misconception I don't want to say mistake what maybe the biggest misconception that you come across quite frequently I think it's the uh, the self-settling thing Mm -hmm. she just can't self-settle or she can't connect sleep cycles and and I'll get people that will say but like and when they when when maybe wakes up I feed them back to sleep and I know I shouldn't feed them back to sleep I'm like, why? Who's told you that? Who's told you that you can't feed them back to sleep? That's what you're, especially if you're breastfeeding, that is the easiest way most of the time to get your baby to sleep. So yeah, the self-settling thing, I think some babies are born with a temperament that that means that they can lay on the back, they can coo, they can chew the hands, they can suck a finger and fall asleep. Brilliant. You've not taught them to do that. That's just the way they are. And that won't last forever. They won't always be a baby that you can lie down because they'll go through changes in their brain and development, which will mean they'll need help to fall asleep. And that is okay. We are the only kind of mammal that that wants to achieve this with our children. They are probably vulnerable species of mammal, yet we want them to do things beyond their capability all the time. And self-settling is something that happens. It's never, there's never a set age for it. It it happens when the brain is mature enough to do it. And you might get kind of one night a month and you're like, oh my God, they've just put themselves to sleep. And that might be because the environment's brilliant and they've been awake just the right amount of time and they're not dysregulated. They're not hungry and they just close their eyes. Brilliant. But if any of those things are off kilter or they go through an intense period of development, they're going to need your help. And that's okay. You've not unlearned anything. You're not making a rod for your own back. You're not providing a crutch for that baby. You are simply responding to their needs as they grow and we cannot teach I and mean, the, the notion of self-settling involves that baby doing it on their own and what how do we achieve that then we have to leave them to cry right unless they are content and happy and put themselves to sleep that's a whole different issue but if we're teaching that then surely that involves a level of distress that baby and then when we think of self-settling that's almost to presume that a baby can be go from such a dysregulated hysterical state to think to themselves oh it's okay I'm tired I'm gonna go to sleep that doesn't happen they don't have the brain maturity to do that they also don't have the brain maturity to understand that their parents are still in the house they don't know Babies don't really learn object permanence, which is where they will understand where something has gone when it's not out of sight till about 18 months old. So this fact that we have to teach children to physically fall asleep when they do that inside the womb on their own doesn't make sense. 
And I, I guess that's the biggest misconception. The phrase rod for your own back is something, it's a, I swear it's like a stick to beat you with. But because like at the yeah. moment, what we're doing is Polly, Polly sleeps really well, actually, at the moment. She'll just go down and I do often feed her to sleep or we'll put her down, pat her a little bit. She will just go off. She'll sort of lie in a cot and then she'll just go off and it's lovely. And she usually sleeps, you know, up a couple of times I feed her back to sleep and then she comes in just when I can't be bothered to put in her back in the cot so I just you know about yeah. five in the morning she'll come in with us and I love it to be honest because we get our cuddles in the morning and the amount of people that have said oh do you want to be doing that she'll be in there till she's five okay well yeah people don't also understand that there comes a time when that baby can talk and understand you and you can say tonight I would like you to stay in your own bed and if you need me mommy will come and tuck you in and say good night and give you a cuddle but we're going to try and not come in mommy's bed tonight they forget that children can have yeah, those conversations yeah. when they're that much older and it can happen way sooner than that like if you don't want your baby in your bed fine there are ways to move through that but certainly don't stop doing it because you think it's going to cause issues later on I'm enjoying it at the moment I I didn't I think I found such a sense of relief of finding accounts like yours that all these things that were being told to me or that I was kind of absorbing maybe even subconsciously from other sources it, I just felt relieved because I was mm. like oh I can feed her back to sleep I can co-sleep with her if I want to I can feed her through the night and it's absolutely fine and she's fine and she's happy. So yeah, I think that that'll be really reassuring to other parents too. Almost give me permission to like parent the way that I want to parent and do the things that come naturally to me that mm-hmm. there's a lot of information that, that goes against that. And I felt like I was maybe doing something wrong. So yeah, yeah. it's not, not a great message really. No, and I always think like if I was to do it again, I would be parenting like unapologetically exactly how I wanted to because I was still influenced when Henry was younger, not forming bad habits. So it's just nice to be able to give that to people in some way because that's what I would have wanted as well. So when when I had Polly, I would say probably for the first like maybe 10 to 12 weeks until we started sort of figuring out what was going on we were in the trenches we were not really sleeping I was feeding every 45 minutes or an hour and a half it was really hard Mm. I remember saying to Will he asked I think he asked me how I was and I completely broke down because I realized I hadn't had a dream because my sleep cycles were so short that I hadn't had a dream for like three months So it was it was hard. The sleep deprivation is hard. I don't think anything could prepare you for it. But I wondered if you had just a bit of advice for any parents that are struggling with with the bit of sleep deprivation. I think in those early days, the best thing that I did and the best advice I can give is to try and take the night in shift. And I know that people go back to work within a few weeks, especially in the USA and things like that. But I think those first couple of weeks, if you can come up with it, and it's obviously a little bit more difficult if you're exclusively breastfeeding. But if you can get to the point where you know, even if that that does mean that you express a little bit of milk and introduce a bottle after six weeks or so that you split that night in half and so even if it's if your baby's feeding kind of two hourly throughout the day you go and have you go to bed at seven o'clock and you leave your baby with your partner if you're lucky enough to have somebody that will help and get a little bit of sleep in before you then take over the rest of the night if your baby is greening if they're being sick if there's something that just doesn't feel right, at that point, I would definitely get some advice from a reflux consultant or her sleep coach and an infant feeding specialist, somebody that can just support you and help you. And unfortunately, those resources aren't readily available freely, but there's always help there should you need it. And, and just also thinking that nothing you're doing now is going to make this sleep deprivation 
worse like you're not doing anything that's going to contribute to it you just got to get through it somehow and if that means resting throughout the day asking for help like we are so bad at asking for help as new parents asking when you can napping mm-hmm. during the day wearing your baby in a carrier contact napping contact napping putting netflix on getting a big bar of chocolate getting a cup of tea and just sitting there for as long as your baby will sleep on you like do it don't feel rushed to be doing plans to be making plans and and doing things but yeah I think nighttime wise the best thing that I did even when I was breastfeeding Henry I would my partner my husband worked night so I would go to bed with him at about eight o'clock and there'd come a time of night when he wouldn't settle and he'd be very fussy and then when my husband came in from nights he would take him just for a couple of hours even if that meant he had a bit of express milk or he was just cuddled while my husband watched tv after his night shift and I just got a, a chunk because sleep deprivation was my trigger for my mental health. So it was really important that I tried mm. to just get chunks of sleep. And your brain is much better the following day if you've had at least a chunk of sleep, um, whether that be three or four hours. But yeah, it's just, it's not going to last. Not forever. Not forever. No, I agree with that. I, that's what we used to do. I used to go to bed at eight. He would feed her a little bit of express milk and he'd bring her up at 11. And that three hours was like the my restorative sleep. Yeah. It helped me get through that night when I was getting up. So yeah. So if someone is struggling, if people don't really know what they're doing, if they want to know a bit more information, how would they go about booking you? And what can they expect from, from, from Fox in the Moon? Head to my website and then you can, I ask you to fill in an extensive form don't let that put you off it is very quick to answer it's just a lot of questions and you can choose between three packages one of which is just an hour's call with me and then the next package is the hour's call with a tailored sleep plan that I write from scratch and a week of email support and then the next package is all of the above but with three weeks of whatsapp support and I'm also starting to offer another plan which means you get me for a lot longer up to a three months so that you might want to take that in the postnatal period for me to help you with those really tricky early days, not just sleep-wise, but somebody to be holding your hand, somebody to be looking at feeds if that's what you want me to do, direct you to the people that I know are brilliant in your area, and really just being a supportive person in that journey. And you can expect, I am not, <laughs> I I say that I really make really good friends with my one-to-one clients that I spend a lot of time with. Like it has to be a really nice, easy relationship. It's not me dictating to you what you should be doing with your child it's there for advice and solidarity and making things easier with a clear mind and a fresh set of eyes and I think that's vital for people like we all need that and yeah you can come to me with anything like a specific goal perhaps your child's waking at 4am every morning and you want to kind of find ways you can make that better your baby might be waking every half an hour or never want to lie on their back or be quite unsettled I also have settled baby method which is a multidisciplinary team of me obviously sleep coach and tongue tie assessor got a tongue tie practitioner a reflux consultant a dietitian and a infant feeding specialist and together we help support parents that have very unsettled babies so that's something that we offer as well that's quite a new course that we're running we're in kind of our third cohort we've had any consultants pediatric consultants gps health visitors midwives all observe the course all take knowledge from it we've had we've had health professionals do the course as a parent so that's really interesting there's a lot of a lot of change happening a lot of good things i'll be offering uh, i'll soon be a qualified infant specialist so hope to set up a clinic in my area which is um greater manchester so yeah yeah (laughs) yeah that sounds like oh god that big package sounds great (laughs) 
I really appreciate you coming on today and yeah just keep doing what you're doing because you're absolutely flying with this and I as I said multiple times that all your content and what you're doing resonates with me and I assume it does for a lot of other people as well and you're really really helping people thank you yeah that means a lot thank you for joining me for this episode of you still you can join the community and keep up to date with all new episodes by following at you still podcast on instagram and twitter if you want to get in touch to tell me how I'm doing, suggest new guests, or let me know which topics you'd like me to cover, email youstillpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you.